my honor and privilege to be here with you this morning. By way of introduction, uh, when I first uh, meet uh, different people, if they ask me where I'm from, I normally begin by giving them a, a short tapestry of, uh, of my life uh, as a young boy until I was a teenager of uh, 16 or 17. I am the son of uh, an international oil man and an international homemaker. And so I spent the first 17 years of my life overseas bouncing from country to country about every two to three years. So I was born in Caracas, Venezuela. From there, we moved to Buenos Aires, Argentina. From there, on to Doha, Qatar in the Persian Gulf. We next found ourselves in Lagos, Nigeria, and then in Tananarif, Madagascar. Then we were off to Bangkok, Thailand, Tunis, Tunisia, North Africa. I did part of a year of high school in Rome. And then of all places, I graduated from high school in Las Cruces, New Mexico. <laughs> it was a great way to grow up. I wouldn't want to change it for the world. But I recall when I was about 10 or 11 years old and we were living in Tananarive, Madagascar, I wanted to be a Boy Scout in the worst possible way. Dad had been a Boy Scout. He had an old Boy Scout handbook that was dog-eared and torn laying around the house, and I read it from cover to cover. There wasn't anything I wanted in this world more than to be a Boy Scout. But the problem with living in Tananarive, Madagascar, was that there weren't a whole lot of Boy Scout of America troops. So Dad, bless his heart, did some research. And he found out that the Boy Scouts have a program called the Lone Scout Program. A program designed for boys who live up in the hills of Virginia or someplace, who can't get down on a regular basis to meet with a Boy Scout troop. So they can establish a program if they can find an adult uh, supervisor where they can go through a significant part of the Boy Scout program alone. So you would have your campouts alone. <laughs> Roast your weenies around the campfire alone. Hold your troop meetings alone. <laughs> Jeff Bingham, here. <laughs> and we giggle at this because you and I know the secret. You and I know that the main reason why the Boy Scouts of America are so successful is because they do things within a community. Young boys in fellowship with other young boys, learning together, challenging each other, sometimes suffering together, rejoicing together, the success of the program is based upon a communal experience. And I want to tell you this morning that just as silly as the Lone Scout program sounds to us this morning, the idea of a lone Christian sounds to both the Old and New Testament. Let me just bring before us a few examples from 
the Holy Scripture. Think of the words of the Lord Jesus, where he says, if you are on your way to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, stop, first go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The Lord Jesus teaches us there that authentic worship, worship that is of a true and sincere kind, a worship that is pleasing unto God, is a worship that can only take place when we are in reconciled relationships with each other. You see, there is something essentially communal about true and acceptable worship. Think also of the words of the Apostle John, the man who says that he loves God and hates his neighbor is a liar. For how can he love God whom he has not seen if he doesn't love his brother whom he has seen? In other words, language about loving God, phrases like, I love God, phrases like, I adore Jesus, are inauthentic in force. They lack sincerity and they lack a measure of truth unless we are in loving relationships with each other. There is something distinctly communal, something distinctly relational about true, authentic, sincere, and appropriate worship. Think of the words of the apostle Peter. Husbands, honor your wives as co-sharers in the gift of grace so that your prayers will not be hindered. In other words, husbands, if you have failed to honor your wives, and by the way, the last time you saw that term in Peter's epistle was when he gave this command to the body at large, honor the king, so we could explain this command of Peter's to honor our wives as to treat them like queens. If you are failing to honor your wife, there is something inauthentic. There is something ineffectual. There is something not right with your prayer life. And come back with me all the way to the beginning in Genesis chapter two, where the Lord has created the man, and he looks down at the man who is alone, and he utters these words, and the Holy Scripture records them for us. It is not good for man to be alone. And so he, first of all, creates a host of animals, because it is better for man to be around animals than to be alone. And then he creates the pinnacle of creation, the woman. Glory. <laughs> who is the mate that is fit for the man. But I want you to allow me some freedom here 
to create a conversation that might very well have occurred between Adam and the Lord before he created either the animals or the woman. This conversation is not recorded for us in scripture, but it might very well have taken place. Perhaps it went something like this. Adam, it is not good for man to be alone, but Lord, I'm not alone. I'm here with you. Adam, shut up. <laughs> I said you're alone and it's not good. But Lord, I'm not alone. I walk with you, I talk with you. Adam, shut up. <laughs> I said you're alone and it's not good. But Lord, I'm not alone because I'm here with you and don't you know that wherever you and I are, it's a majority? Adam, shut up. <laughs> I said you're alone and it's not good. Hear me now and listen to me later. The Lord did not create you for a private relationship with him. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> but let me say it again. The Lord did not create you for a private relationship with him. He created you for a personal relationship with him that is to be lived out, enjoyed, endured, and experienced in relationship with us. Would you come with me to the second chapter of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians? Where we hear the gospel Paul is writing to some Gentiles who apparently are feeling both a little bit depressed and a little bit too proud of themselves. He is writing to the uncircumcision, but he gives them a little bit of insight into those who are of the circumcised faith as well. These Gentiles, he tells them, were, were once separate from all of the benefits that had accrued to Israel. The benefits of receiving the covenants, the benefits of having received the law, the benefits of having received all the promises that God was going to act to fulfill. The, the benefits of being part of this history of redemption in which time after time they had seen miracles enacted by the God of Moses and the God of David uh, in order to bring about his blessings for this people. But the Gentiles had been no part of that. And so the average Christian Gentile was feeling a little bit left out, but perhaps also a little bit too high. You see, the, the bickering in a community which house both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians might go something like this. The Jewish Christian might say to the Gentile Christian, you know what, you may be a Christian, but we received the covenants. You might be a Christian, but we received the law. You might be a Christian, but we have this entire history of redemption which testifies to us that God likes us 
that God loves us more than he likes or loves you. And the Gentile Christian response might have gone something like this, yeah, but he's done having his purpose with you and now he's gone to the Gentiles. So much for your history, you may be God's past, we're God's future. And so you can just imagine that Jew or Gentile Christian each is arguing with a mind and a head that thinks too much of themselves by claiming that they somehow have a special or unique relationship to God that the other one doesn't have. And that is the end of Christian unity. Whenever a Christian believes that they have a relationship with God that is special and unique unto them, that they have access to God in a unique and special way that is not shared by other Christians. That is the end of Christian unity. And so the point of the Apostle Paul is to do away with any claim to being special, any claim to being unique, any claim to having something that other believers in terms of their access to God do not have. When I was teaching at Dallas Theological Seminary, one of my favorite men in the faith and one of my favorite professors, Harold Honer, who is now with the Lord, had a sign hanging on his door which he put there in complete jest. But it went something like this. God loves all of his children but I'm his favorite. <laughs> Harold meant that as a joke. I'm afraid sometimes some Christians take that seriously, thinking that they somehow have arrived at the unique position of being God's favorite. Paul's goal in verses 12 and following of chapter two is to destroy that false idea by emphasizing that Jew or Gentile, we all gain access to God and his blessings in the exact same way. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, speaking to the Gentiles, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. I want you to see that the means through which the Gentile Christians have been brought near is the blood of Christ. Hold that thought because you're going to see parallel terms to that as we continue with verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Yes, the blood of Christ is the means for your personal sins to be forgiven. Yes, the bruised and ripped and torn and stabbed flesh 
of Christ is the means for you to receive personal forgiveness and access to God. But Paul wants us also to see here that the flesh and the blood of Christ also have a communal relational effect. It is to bring us into one unified body. It is to do away with all divisions of favoritism, all items, all symbols that may stand between us being in unity in Christ. And so the flesh of Christ is mentioned here as the means through which the law was destroyed so that he might make one out of two, Gentile and Jew. He continues, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Paul has many terms for the church. He refers to it as a body. He refers to it later on in Ephesians chapter 2 as a temple. He might refer to it as a house or as a family. All these terms are together referring to the concept of a group of people who have now found commonality in access to God by means of the exact same means. One blood, one flesh. And here Paul introduces the church as the new man, or we could say the new humanity. This new grouping of human beings that have been brought together into a peaceful relationship by means of the one blood and by means of the one flesh of Christ. And he continues. And in this one body, verse 16, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. You see, Paul has mentioned the blood he has mentioned the flesh of Jesus Christ. Here he mentions the cross. And he mentions repeatedly that the flesh, the blood, the cross of Christ does more than simply guarantee personal forgiveness of sins. It also provides the means and the basis for us to enter into unity with each other into one new body, into one new temple, into one new house, into one new family, or as Paul wishes to focus here, into one new grouping of human beings, the new humanity. You see, there is only one cross. There isn't a cross for Jews and a cross for Gentiles. You see, there is only one blood. There is not a blood for those from Australia and a blood for those from North America. You see, there is only one rip and torn body, flesh of Jesus Christ. There is not one flesh for those in Syria and another flesh for those in Israel. There is only one cross, one flesh, 
one blood, and all of us gain access to God by means of the exact same gift of God. There is no place in Christianity for the concept of being God's favorite, for the concept of being unique in a relationship with God because the foundation and the basis is exactly the same for all of us. Paul concludes this paragraph by referring to a third blessing of which there is just one. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Here Paul brings forward the words of the prophet Isaiah. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. There is not a spirit for Jews and a spirit for Gentiles. There is not a spirit for women or a spirit for men. There's not a spirit for parents and another spirit for children. There is not a spirit for the freeman and a spirit for the slave. There is one spirit. All of us have access to the Father by means of the exact same Holy Spirit. Paul's emphasis in this text has been to remind the reader that we all come to God and experience his blessings by means of the exact same blessings. You see, in the context of Ephesians, Paul wants to lay the basis when he talks about the reconciliation that should take, between, take place between husbands and wives, the reconciliation that should take place between parents and children, the reconciliation that took, should take place between the slave and the freeman, the reality is that for all of those groups, too, there is only one cross, one blood, one flesh, one spirit. And that is how the new humanity has been created. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul returns to this phrase that he introduced us to in chapter 2. But now having laid the gospel foundation for the creation of the new man, for the creation of this new grouping of human beings, he now gives us a command regarding it. Ephesians chapter four and verse 23. We are to be made new in the attitude of our minds and we are to put on the new man which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Some of your translations may mistranslate that term, new man. Some of your translations might have new self. Some of your translations might have new person. But it is the same term that we found in chapter 2. It refers to this new community of human beings who have all been blessed by the one spirit, the one cross, the one flesh, the one blood, and whom Christ has gathered into a new community. And so the command in verse 24 is for us to put on the characteristics of this new grouping of human beings. This new grouping of men and women, this new grouping of parents and children, this new grouping of freemen 
and slave. What are these characteristics that we are to put on? Imagine yourself getting up in the morning and dressing for the day. Each characteristic is a piece of clothing that you are to wear. And all of these pieces of clothing can only be put on when you are in relationship with us. Therefore, verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body or one new man, if you prefer. You see, you can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself on some mountaintop. You can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself here. The only place you can put on the humanity is when you're with us. And when you're with us, Paul says, tell us the truth. Speak only truth to us. Because if you don't, you are in danger of corrupting the entire body. The next piece of clothing that you are to put on in verse 26 is in relationship to your anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You see, you can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself on some mountaintop. You can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself in some closet. You can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself here. The only place you can put on the new humanity is when you're with us. And when you're with us, Paul says, deal with your anger quickly and appropriately. Your goal should be not to lay your head on the pillow until you have brought about reconciliation with the person with whom you are angry. That should be your goal. Sometimes in this life prior to resurrection, that's not going to be possible every time. But the admonition of Paul is for you to make that such an important element in your life that you are to labor and to pray towards reconciliation and to do away with your anger quickly and appropriately so that it doesn't build up and build up and then explode in a nasty infection. There is a third piece of clothing that you are to put on. He who has been stealing, verse 28, must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. You can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself on some mountaintop. You can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself in some closet. The only place you can put on the new man is when you're with us. And when you're with us, Paul says, do something useful with your hands so that you may be generous to our needs. You see, stopping to steal is not enough for the Christian ethic. You need to stop stealing, if you were. You need to go to work and get a job that earns pay. But that's not enough. 
You are then to use that pay to give to your own needs, yes, but also to give generously to the needs of others. And so the third piece of clothing that you are to put on as you put on the characteristics of the new man, as you take on the characteristics of this new group of human beings that have been blessed by the one cross, the one blood, the one flesh, and the one spirit, is that you give generously to our needs. There's another piece of clothing. Do not let any unwholesome talk verse 29, come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful or building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You see, you can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself here. You can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself on some mountaintop. And you can't put on the new humanity when you're with yourself by yourself in some closet. The only place you can put on the new humanity is when you're with us. And when you're with us, Paul says, only speak things that encourage. Only speak things that build up. Only speak things that help us to move from difficulty to ease. Your tongue was not only created for your own use and for your own benefit. Your tongue is a gift that God gave you in order to bless the community. Use it to speak words which edify rather than words which break down and discourage. There's a final piece of clothing. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I've got some terrible news for you. If you're around us long enough, and if you're around us in the wrong kind of situation or when we're in the wrong kind of mood, the truth is that you're not going to experience us doing all these things all the time. If you're around us long enough, the time is going to come when we are going, well, to say something to you which is discouraging. The time will arrive when we will not speak truthfully to you, but we might deceive you or mislead you. If you're around us long enough, the time will probably come when we will not be generous to your needs, but we will be stingy and we will be selfish. And if you're around us long enough and catch us in the wrong situation, there will come the time when we will fail to treat you as you ought to be treated because you share the blood, the flesh, the spirit, and the cross with us. And the last piece of clothing that Paul commands us to put on is the one that says when we do that, when we speak hurtful words, when we 
are not generous, when we do not tell you the truth, when we do not deal with anger appropriately, when we do those things, please, please, please forgive us as God forgave you. There is an outfit that you need to put on because you have been joined into a new grouping of human beings. Truth-telling, dealing with anger appropriately, being generous to the needs of others, speaking only words which edify and build up, and forgiving when they fail to treat you in those ways. For together, we have been blessed by the one cross, the one blood, the one flesh of Christ, and the one Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we cry out to you by means of the Spirit who indwells us, a gift from you, that day by day you would find us wearing these bits of clothing in gratitude to you for the blessings you have given to us through the gospel affected by the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.